a relative in long-term care? Are you trying to get someone into care? Do you have questions about the care system? Welcome to St. Vincent's Veritas, the lowdown on long-term care for family members, brought to you by St. Vincent's Nursing Home. I'm Susan McLeod. And I'm Margaret McQuarrie. In this episode of St. Vincent Veritas, we're clarifying the very confusing process of how to get into long-term care. And we're only talking about what it takes to get into long-term care in the province of Nova Scotia. Our guest is Marie-Claire Chartrand, who runs Grey Wave Senior Care Consulting. She's a private navigator who helps people find their ways through the confusing rules and routes of getting into long-term care. We asked Marie-Claire why she started this business. So I spent almost 30 years working as a care coordinator with continuing care. And uh, I saw families could use more support and more time just sitting mm-hmm. with them and understanding or providing support, the emotional support of this whole process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's one of the most difficult parts of people's lives is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I air quotes here, putting mom in a home, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it, and it's complex of what steps need to happen and that the people in place don't necessarily have the time to help you with that or that they don't. So I help families with that process, how to think about um, how to approach mom uh, around long-term care, but even before that, around arranging care at home, how to get help in the home. What are the resources out there? Because there's no real inventory of resources and then you don't even know what you, you don't know. To start, we should clear up some terminology. The Government of Nova Scotia licenses and funds two types of long-term care facilities, nursing homes and residential care facilities. Nursing homes are for people who are medically stable but have needs that can't be met through home care. And these needs are often described as the necessities of daily living, like can they get dressed by themselves, can they bathe themselves, can they go to the toilet on their own. A nursing home provides 24-hour care. Residential care facilities, on the other hand, are for people who don't need a nursing home but also can't get their needs met through home care. A residential care facility provides some support for personal care and staff are on site at all times. But the resident is fairly independent the rest of the time. And, and Margaret, I think the big thing is going to the toilet by yourself. Yeah. That distinguishes that's very important. between the nursing home and a lower level. Yes. And then there's a third option, and that's called assisted living. And that, for the most part, is private. For the purposes of this episode, we're talking only about the options provided by government. And again, that's nursing home care and residential care facilities. We're referring to both of them as long-term care. And we'll provide links at the end of this episode to uh, help you figure that out. The first thing we talked about with Marie Claire was what people ask for when they're looking at a long-term care facility and what they should be looking for. Here's Marie Claire with the most important answer. What families seem to be most concerned about is, number one, is care. You know, where are they going to get the best care? And I, I equate it to, like, a floor on the hospital. If you were to ask somebody, which floor on the hospital gets the best care? So, it, you know, so they're licensed. Mm-hmm. All these facilities are licensed. They have standards uh, and regulations that they have to meet in terms of uh, staff ratio is all the same. Marie mentioned there is no difference in the quality of the level of care between private 
and public facilities. And that's something I didn't know for sure. I think there's a myth out there that private must be better, but not so according to her experience. So now that we know we don't need to worry about the quality of the care, what should we be looking for? According to Marie Claire, it's location, location, location. So similar to daycare, you want something that's going to be uh, nearby where you could drop your kid off. So as an adult, you want, and you're visiting mom or dad, you want some place that's going to be accessible for you to go and visit. Uh, you know, sometimes a husband or wife is the main visitor, mm -hmm. and they might not want to drive across the bridge. Exactly. They may need to be on a bus route. Uh, so with long-term care, when you're putting your name on the list for certain facilities, uh, you, you might want to choose, it's within 100 kilometers of your community of choice. When it's time to sign up for the wait list, you get to put your name on the list for any facility you like within 100 kilometers of your community of choice. You can put your name in for just a couple of homes or all that are available, but you have to mark one as your number one choice. If you're wondering how to get on the wait list, you do that by calling Nova Scotia Government's Continuing Care Line, 1-800-225-7225, or by talking to your family physician. Along with location, you should also consider if your loved one has some special needs because not all facilities can accommodate everyone. Do some research into each facility before choosing. Here's Marie Claire again. Uh, so another thing to look for, um, not all facilities can meet the needs of every person looking for long-term care. So if you're a smoker, okay. there are only certain facilities that you can go to uh, that allow smoking, that they have a smoking space. So. You can't put mom on the list for a certain facility because they don't allow smoking. So you need so that kind of weeds through the list. Mm -hmm. uh, some folks only want a private room. Mm -hmm. So some facilities uh, you go into and it's shared to begin with, and then later you apply, you put your name on the list for a private room. And here's where we need to point out that this podcast was recorded long before COVID-19 was a reality. When we recorded this, our guests strongly recommended shared rooms for social stimulation. But as a result of the pandemic, experts are now saying single rooms and single bathrooms are key to preventing the spread of infection. But let's listen to what she has to say anyway. Um, I'm not always 100% in favor of private rooms because um, you spend a lot of time alone then. In the nursing home, uh, depression is very high, as is social isolation. Mm -hmm. And to share a room, most facilities, the rooms are maybe a three-quarter, like they call it um, semi-private. So they might have a three-quarter wall between the two. Oh, so I you're see. not, when you're laying in bed, you're not seeing the person across from you. But it's still, it's not a full wall, so it can't be claimed as a private room. Uh, I find the advantages are that there's some social interaction because if it's not family visiting and staff are not in the room, then that person is alone, except when they go out to meal or go to an activity. Um, I think when we're looking at private rooms, we're thinking of it from our own perspective, in our own skin right now. I, do, I would never want to share a room with somebody else. 
but when you're older and your mobility is limited and you're in a space where you don't see many people, then that's, that's different. So in terms of being lonely and social activity, that's the other thing to look at, is when you're going to visit the facilities to make decisions, look at the activity calendar. What's going on in the run of the day? Mm-hmm. So some are chock-a-block because they might be a bigger facility with more volunteers. Um, vol- so activity, they, every facility will have a calendar of what's going on for the mm-hmm. month. So have a look and is there anything on there that your parent might be interested in? Um, volunteers, uh, if you're looking at social interaction, it, that's not happening with staff. No. Right? Staff are busy. It's not so much busy. They have work to do and they're there to do the work have people bathed, washed, fed, medications, that's what they're doing. So any kind of social activity um, is is usually uh, really buffed up by volunteers. So location, special needs, activities, and the level of volunteers are all things we should be looking for. But then there are a couple of other things we should be aware of once our loved one is in the facility. And I know from our experience in our family, we were getting phone calls all the time about things disappearing. You know, dad's slippers disappeared, dad's watch disappeared, dad's teeth disappeared. We were constantly having to buy new sweatpants, new t-shirts, pajamas. We were wondering, where is all this stuff going? I know uh, I had the same experience, and I know uh, I wasn't familiar with what a nursing home was like, and I assumed it was like an apartment building or a hotel or or. A, a dormitory, but it's not like that at all. And you have to learn some of the uh, their own their ways. The one thing that shocked me was the laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, they take everybody's laundry down to an, an industrial uh, laundry center, and things get lost there. But also, they get ruined. Some of uh, Mum's nicest clothes never came back the same. So, mm-hmm. lesson learned there. Right. Be prepared. Stuff will disappear. Right. Uh, either in the laundry. Uh, when you bring when you bring clothing in or articles in, they are tagged with the person's name on it. But you can imagine there's 150 residents, and all the laundry for three days is going in there. Somebody is sorting that at the other end, and reading the tag and figuring out where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for personal items, uh, there are people with dementia. You know, I think the ratio is over 80% of folks going into long-term care have some form of cognitive. Uh, deficits and so they're mobile possibly and they're walking around during the run of the day and they can't necessarily tell what room is theirs or what stuff is theirs so they're coming in and they're helping themselves and they're just moving that someplace else you know we also believe that uh, they're going to have 24-hour care Mm. what does that actually look like right and that mom needs to go to long-term care because we're afraid she's going to fall so those are the two, you, 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 people okay. believe that they're going to be monitored all the time and that they're going to prevent falls, and neither of which is true. Yeah. So, so the, hands-on care happens during parts of the day, mostly morning, evening, and uh, meal time, and uh, incontinent care, that'll happen, but, uh, you know, s- throughout the day, but the rest of the time, the resident is really on their own. Right. Uh, so you can't always you can't prevent falls. You can reduce risk in many ways, but if you want a hundred percent reduction, then they're tied. Right, right. right. And, and that's, that's not what it's, it, policy is. You can't do that. Nor right. is it really 
well, uh, it's uh, ethically right to do. It's not ethical, and it, right? And there's no yeah. quality of life then. That's right. And if you're strapped into a wheelchair, I've read somewhere that your chance of a urinary tract infection gets higher. Well, it and does so many things. So chance of strangulation oh. with seat belts, uh, yeah, okay. and still falling, trying still, to climb out. Yes. And there are times when you might need a private room. Uh, some people require a private room. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're visually impaired and they're still walking around, so they can't be in a room with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's infection controls. Mm-hmm. Sometimes somebody screams a lot. Mm-hmm. There are behavior issues. They're combative. Mm-hmm. They don't do well with a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are reasons sometimes a person needs a private room. Um, the other is security. And in terms of uh, if somebody has a dementia and they tend to try to leave, then there's only, not all all um, homes have the same level of security. Oh, okay. So some may have a locked unit, so that a person uh, would have to have a keypad, know the keypad to be able to exit. Uh, some don't have that, uh, and they, a person can walk throughout the facility and mm-hmm. really leave out the front door. Mm-hmm. So if... if your loved one is somebody who has issues with roaming, then uh, they may not be suitable for every facility that you want them to go to. So when you're looking at the list of where should I put mom on the list for, you need to be talking with your care coordinator about what their care needs are and which facility can actually meet that. And according to Marie Claire, the number one thing you should do before choosing a facility is go visit it in person. And she told us she is shocked by the number of people who just pick a location from a piece of paper and never see what it's actually like. But it's surprising how many people don't even visit the facility and Uh, they put mom or dad's name on the list of a place and then the phone call comes and they haven't even looked at it yet. If you really just think about if you were moving mom or dad to a new house, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that doesn't happen in somebody phoning you. You don't just say, uh, well, mom wants to be on this street, that street, and that street, and your real estate agent calls you, and I got, okay, the house is ready tomorrow. Will you take it? We both know from having been through this experience that one of the most confusing things about getting a loved one into long-term care is just figuring out where the process starts. And I know I was pretty emotional and not uh, at my most clear thinking, Uh, And I did find that uh, the communications uh, doesn't help you necessarily, but what you should know is that there are a couple of different paths based on whether your loved one is trying to get into long-term care from living in their own home or whether they're getting into long-term care after being admitted to hospital. So let's talk first about the person looking to get into long-term care who is already in the hospital. In this case, the hospital's care coordinator is your ally. So each floor in the hospital is assigned a care coordinator. Okay. So whatever floor mom is on, that's the uh, care coordinator assigned to that floor. Uh, will will complete an assessment that okay. usually involves reading the chart, uh, reviewing nursing notes, talking to family. So the care coordinator has to demonstrate that everything has been tried uh, to manage that person at home. So if they were in an assisted living, it would be the assisted living can't manage that level of care anymore. They need more care than can be managed there. If it was home, then even with the maximum of home care supports, even with you know family increasing care, family buying more care, they still can't be managed at home. 
So the care coordinator has to demonstrate that you've attempted everything possible, you've used all resources available to manage at home, and presents that to the management panel, and they say we agree, they can go on to the long-term care wait list. So that is the date that your name goes onto the list. From hospital, you're, you, it's called the first available bed policy. So the expectation is once you're on the list, your name goes on every facility within 100 kilometers. Whether you've of, chosen it or not. Correct. Ah. So your name is on the list for those. Um, and then the first one that becomes available, that's where you go. Okay. So that may not be your first choice. It might be, but it may not be. So if it's not your first choice or it's not any of your choices, so let's use three facilities, for example. Um, And you you go to a facility that's not one of those three. You will wait at that facility until one of the other three choices come. Okay. And then you would be moved to that facility. To sum that up, if your loved one is in hospital and the hospital's care coordinator has assessed that they can't return home or go back to their residential care facility, they are automatically put on a wait list for every long-term care facility within 100 kilometers. Whatever space comes up as available first is where they will go. It may sound hard-hearted, but the reason hospitals do that is they're trying to free up beds for acute care patients. But you should not panic because, let's say, they do get transferred to a place that is... 100 kilometers away and that's way too far away for you don't worry they were just put there because that's where the first bed came up you still have the opportunity to get transferred back to a preferred location now how does it work when your loved one is still living at home when you see the time is at hand that your loved one needs to go into a facility and you're planning on going into one licensed by the government the first thing you do is call 1-800-225-7225 we'll repeat that at the end of this podcast and that will get the ball rolling as far as picking your preferred facilities and getting your loved one assessed. As Marie Claire says, your loved one is probably already known to the system because they're probably receiving some level of home care. If you were at home, usually at the point where you're applying to go on to lo- into long-term care is because your care needs are increasing and increasing. So again, the care coordinator would assess They probably already know this person because they're receiving home care. Maybe the maximum hours by now. And and the family are saying, we don't think we can manage this much longer, so let's apply for long-term care. So again, the care coordinator presents that information to the panel who says, yes, okay. Or they may say, well, she's only got housekeeping coming into the house. She doesn't need long-term care now. No, she's not eligible for long-term care. What does she mean by maximum hours? Well, the province will provide up to 150 hours a month of home support to keep your loved one cared for at home. But once they need more than 150 hours a month, it actually makes more financial sense for the province to move them into a long-term care facility. And at that time, the care coordinator will talk to you about your top choices for facilities. But what are the wait lists like? You know, in terms of wait lists, they run anywhere from four months to five years. And the reason for the five years is not so much because it's the best facility, it's because it's a small facility. Uh, What's the advantage of small facilities? Well, it's small, so it's not that it's an advantage, it's there's only so many beds, so there's only so much turnover. I see, yes. Right? And it's small, and it's newer, and it's a community that... 
there might not be many nursing homes around that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, so she would wait for that bed. And what would happen, or that space, uh, is say, um, you know, they're a year in on the wait list and things have gotten more difficult. Than anticipated. Cause, yes, yes, and now they just can't manage anymore. So then they can choose to add other facilities that have a shorter wait list. And, and their date on the wait list would be the same, so they likely get admission to that much more quickly. Okay. Uh, so then yeah. there is the other routes. You know, there's the regular route of waiting for in terms of wait lists, and then there's the speedier route when adult protection becomes involved. And why would adult protection become involved? It's if somebody is at imminent risk of uh, injury uh, or death or neglect, and that uh, if they are in danger, then they will be placed immediately. And that's where the any place in the province, okay. because they're in imminent danger, they will look for the first available bed somewhere. And it doesn't, it's beyond 100? It's Kilo- beyond 100. Yeah. Yeah, kilometers. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that they'll go someplace else, but if that's the only bed that's available, because if this person sometimes is in absolute eminent danger, they've been found outside, uh, you know, improperly clothed, um, and so they need to be somewhere. So normally they're taken to emerge and then wow. dealt with from there. So we've covered getting on the wait list for long-term care if your loved one is at home, if they're in the hospital, and if they're at risk. The common element is talking to a care coordinator either at the hospital or by calling the government's continuing care line, which we'll repeat again at the end of this podcast. Or by seeing your physician. Now it's time to talk money. What's it cost to be in a long-term care facility licensed by the government? The answer is, it depends on what you can afford. So the cost of long-term care is uh, $108.50 per day. That's for nursing home level of care. There's another lower level called RCF or residential care, which is $46 a day, I believe. So, but most folks are in nursing home level of care, which is 1850 a day, is the maximum you would pay. So the cost for long-term care and how that's determined, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a single person, they look at 85% of your income. They don't look at any assets, any savings, any house. You don't have to sell anything. It's strictly income based on your notice of assessment from the prior year. Uh, So it's up to 85%. Most folks do not pay the full 108.50 per day because their income doesn't allow it. Um, So you're always left with a minimal retained of 15% of your income which amounts to almost $300 a month. So no matter what your income is, you will always have $300 a month left um, from your income. And that's for your clothes? It's for clothes, uh, dental, eyewear, prescriptions, uh, medications, if you have co-pays. People often want our incontinent products covered. They are. Uh, some personal items like uh, shampoos, toothpaste, uh, some of that is not covered. Um, most facilities have a direct connection with a pharmacy and they sort of over-the-counter type things like that gets brought in and billed to, okay. to the client. 
Uh, transportation is the other thing that's not covered. So if you have an ambulance bill or um, you're going out for whatever reasons to a medical appointment, that is not covered. Okay. So the 300 bucks is usually sufficient for most folks, uh, unless they smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. And, yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you're a couple, what they do is take uh, both notices of assessment, they combine those, uh, and 60% of that is left with the person who's staying home in the community. For so they their don't look food. at for the, for their life for their for, life for whatever wow. okay. you know rent all those things, and forty percent is what they look at for the person in long term care, and they look at eighty five percent of that forty percent. Okay. So let's say combined income is a hundred thousand, sixty thousand stays with the person in the community, forty thousand they look at and they take eighty five percent of that forty thousand. Okay. Up to. 180 a day. In some cases, that might not leave the spouse much to live on. Yes, and as Marie Claire says, there is no recourse, no appeal, no nothing. But on the upside, the amount you pay for long-term care is based on your income, not your savings, not the value of your house, your assets, or anything. Some people think you need to save up for it. You really don't. There's so much more we could cover in this episode, like prescriptions and other items, But I think the main takeaway here is that getting into long-term care may feel mysterious, but it doesn't have to be. Talk to your family physician. Call the Nova Scotia Continuing Care line at 1-800-225-7225. Or for a more personal experience, book a consultation with Marie Claire. So at what point should someone come to you? Uh, Should they... Is it okay to come with you when the family's in crisis, or is there a, yeah. a step before the crisis that you can recognize? Yeah. And I think any time is a good time, yeah. but it's often when you're thinking, having conversations with friends, and it's like, I don't know what to do about mom. Okay. When you're stressed about it, and you're not sure what to do and how to manage this, then that's when you call. And can I ask you what you charge? Um, for an assessment, uh, it's usually about two hours for me to sit with somebody. My hourly rate is $125 an hour. And the sit-down in-home assessment is $250. Okay. And I usually follow up with um, the resources that they need to move to the next steps. Uh, I also offer ongoing follow-up. Uh, a lot of families live out of the province, and mom is here on their own or dad's here on their own. Mm-hmm. And they need somebody on the ground here that they can call to go check on mom and to help navigate through the system. Mm Because it's even more complex when you're living out of the province and you have no sense of what's public and what's private and what's available. Mm -hmm. So I also do a lot of just telephone consultations with family members who live away. um, And we just walk, walk through things over the phone. I think I could have used you <laughs> yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. So, uh, so that's good. And do you want to tell us your phone number? Yeah, it's uh, 902-448-8439. And the company is called Gray Wave. And we can find you on the Internet? I am on the Internet. I have a website and a Facebook page. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, you're that very welcome. That was very informative. It's been a pleasure. 
We'd like to thank Marie-Claire Chartrand from Grey Wave Consulting. You can find her online at greywave.ca. And just a reminder, a couple of the useful resources she mentioned. The government's continuing care line is 1-800-225-7225. Also, the Alzheimer's Society and Caregivers Nova Scotia. That's it for this episode of St. Vincent's Veritas, the lowdown on long-term care. If you have any questions you'd like us to explore, please get in touch with us on Facebook at St. Vincent's Nursing Home or follow us at Humans of St. Vincent's, also at Facebook. We'd like to thank TRG Banks at the Free Music Archive for the use of his music, Swan Ride, in this episode. I just want to remind everybody that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed here belong solely to us, uh, Margaret and me, as hosts, and are based on our personal research and experience um, or they belong to the guests we interview. They do not belong to St. Vincent's Nursing Home, the Department of Health and Wellness, or any other organization, committee, group, or individual. But I do want to take a minute to thank St. Vincent's for allowing us as volunteers to have free reign with this project.